Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of The King's Business, a podcast designed to help business leaders apply biblical principles in both their personal and professional lives. I want to thank you for joining us today, and it is my hope that you will walk away with added wisdom to your life so you can go out into the world and be a positive influence on others by doing the King's business. As always, here's the layout that each episode will generally follow. First, we will introduce the week's topic. Next, we will connect it to scriptural references and examples. Then, we will identify ways we can apply these biblical teachings into our leadership of others, both personally and professionally. Finally, we will close with open-ended questions you can answer personally or share with your followers or teams for deeper discussion. Well, without further ado, let's get to today's topic, speaking up to your leader. I know for most of us, speaking up to our leader or offering opposing viewpoints is probably not the first thing that comes to mind on your list of the day's to-dos. It can be really challenging because most of us work for leaders who do not seek, nor do they welcome, that kind of opposition. We should dive into this a little further, though, because I think just like many things, on the surface, we're looking at this from the wrong perspective. A good leader is wise to listen to their subordinates for several reasons, and here's just a few. For one, our teams are closer to the action and therefore have a specific vantage point we do not. There are several examples in business case studies where some of the best ideas or the most innovative ideas in a company do not come from the R&D department or from the C-suite or from the executives of the company, but rather the people who are in the trenches, the people who are doing these jobs day in and day out because they have a perspective that no one else has. They're able to see in real time and in practicum how the edicts and projects and things like that that come from the upper levels actually work out in the real world. So the teams that are closer to the action have a better vantage point, and that's something we should listen to. Second, if you as the leader create a culture where no one shares their ideas, you will be left with a voiceless team. Another way you could say this is if you have a team of just yes men, you have a team that's just an echo chamber. They're only going to echo what you're saying to them. So you better hope that you're right all the time. But for most of us, we're not. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not uh, omniscient. You know, I, I don't have all knowledge. I don't know all things. So I need people to speak up in the organization because there's a very, very good chance they're going to see something important that either I don't see or perhaps I'm blind to because of biases. But in any case, not hearing from them is going to be detrimental to the business. Third, setting the example that anyone on your team can approach you with opposition in a respectful manner, which we'll talk about here shortly, breeds trust and loyalty. You know, think back to a job that you've had where you've had opposition for your superior or your leader, and you shared it with them. The chances are this affected you profoundly in one of two ways. One, it was either a very positive experience where your ideas and your suggestions were taken to heart. They perhaps were even implemented, and hopefully you were given the credit for it. But either way, you knew that when you came to your leaders with an opposing perspective, it was listened to. And they actually followed through with action to use what you had shared with them. Unfortunately, 
I think a lot of us are in the other side of this boat where we've had a really negative experience where either in best case scenario, you're just ignored. In worst case scenario, you're removed from your position or from your department or from your job because you have shared opposition. And there's a lot of leaders and managers out there who simply do not want to hear anything opposing, unfortunately, and it's really to the detriment of the organization. Team members who are afraid to voice their opinions usually go work somewhere that they can voice those opinions. You know, there's an old saying that says someone never quits a job, they quit their boss. And I would say for a lot of us, that's probably true. The job usually doesn't change. For most of us, we're in a system of commerce where we supply a product or service, we are trying to market that product or service to the public, and we exchange with them. They give us a, you know, a currency instrument, usually, you know, cash or what have you. And in turn, we provide them with the good or service. That's really as simple as that. So no matter where you go work, business to business, you know, customer to customer, what have you, it really doesn't change. The system of exchange is still there. What really does change is who we're doing that job for. And that's where this old adage really holds true in that we're not quitting the job because the job is very similar anywhere we go. We're quitting the person we work for. A wise leader would have the following perspective. We need to see a brave follower who voices their opposition as someone who cares about us and the organization. And that's how we need to think about it. We need to see that person as someone who cares enough about us and this business that they're actually voicing their concerns. They're not doing it most of the time to be rebellious or to instigate trouble. Most of the time, they care about the job that they do especially if we're being the kind of leaders we're called to be, where we cultivate and grow our people, and they want to see us succeed. So they're compelled to bring up issues that they think need to be addressed. And a lot of times that can be oppositional or, you know, adversarial to some extent. Nothing derogatory or destructive, but it can be done in a respectful way. The wise leader is able to discern between useful opposition and destructive complaining. This is where the respect piece comes in. You know, I, as a leader, I want my people to feel free to, to argue with me, to have some opposition, but I still expect them to do that in a respectful way. And that goes both ways. If I disagree with an opinion or a perspective of one of my followers, I have no right to belittle or to in any way put them down. Then I'm no good in, in being called a leader. You know, I need to be the person that lends a sympathetic ear, that is willing to listen, to really hear what they're saying, to to paraphrase back what I've heard. But even then, as the leader, I still have to make that ultimate decision. And sometimes that means it's going to be a no to what they've asked for. However, I've given the person the affirmation to know that what they said is important and I've heard them, but sometimes it still doesn't align with the mission of the business. These are approaches that a wise leader should take, and these are perspectives a wise leader should have when their team comes to them respectfully with, uh, you know, opposition kind of thoughts on an issue. However, we've all seen the flip side of this, where we have that person or persons in our organization that they just want to complain 
They're not really offering any solutions. They're only pointing out problems. And that's something the wise and seasoned leader needs to be mindful of and to look out for. And those kind of situations, the leader, as respectfully as possible, needs to let that person know what you're offering right now is not either a solution, it's not productive, it's not going to get us down the road to achieve the vision we've laid out for this business. Hopefully, that is enough to correct the situation, but sometimes this will mean either removing this person from the organization entirely or perhaps transferring them to a department that they're going to be more successful in. So now that we have a pretty decent grasp of what we're talking about today and how we can share opposition or a differing opinion with those in authority over us, let's go to the Bible. Let's see some examples of how these characters of the Bible really embodied this image of someone who can speak to authority in perhaps an oppositional way. The first one we're going to look at is Daniel. You know, Daniel ended up serving, you know, upwards of six different kings of Babylon, which at the time would have been the most powerful country in the world. And there's a story that's cataloged in the Bible that says Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that God was more powerful than him. This actually happened on a couple of occasions. We have when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the furnace. We have when Daniel goes into the lion's den. You know, there's there's several times where Daniel tells whoever's ruling in this country that God is more powerful than them. And and you got to think at this time, these rulers thought they were divinely appointed that or to the extent that they were the deity. And to have that kind of strength and courage to to be that honest and unashamed of who you really believe has power in this universe is truly remarkable. But what's neat about Daniel is he would tell Nebuchadnezzar that not only was God more powerful than him, but that God was eventually going to humble Nebuchadnezzar into living like an animal for years. And this ended up happening. Um, one day it says that Nebuchadnezzar was taking a walk on one of his balconies and he was struck. I, I don't even have a good name for it. He basically acted like a wild animal. His hair and nails grew long. He would eat the grass in the fields. I mean, he had literally lost his mind for a season. And then God, you know, restored him to his mental faculties. But that's important to see that Daniel was not afraid to tell authority a truth. And that's how we have to think of it too. If we're conveying a truth to our superiors, we don't need to be ashamed of that. Now, there are diplomatic ways and respectful ways to do that. But if what you're saying is uh, an obvious and clear truth, then you've got a lot more ammo going into this, and you've got a lot more right on your side. Next, let's look at Moses. Moses told Pharaoh what he was doing to the Israelites was wrong and needed to stop. So we have the story of Joseph, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Joseph saves the world, you know, God saves the world through Joseph, and Joseph regulates the the food production for 14 years for the whole world in seven great years and seven years of terrible famine. And Joseph's family and his generations of Israelites that came after him were very prosperous for a while in Egypt, but after a while, the Egyptians really couldn't stand them anymore. And so they made him work for them. And eventually they really became slaves to the Egyptians. They were building the, the monuments and you know, they were having to go fetch their own materials to build the bricks, to build the buildings. And it was just, it was a pretty tough, grueling time. And it went on for 400 years. 
But what was interesting here is that Moses, who at this time, he would have been in his 70s or 80s, had been a shepherd for you know all of his adult life, and he was going before Pharaoh, who at the time would have been the most powerful person in the world, and he was saying to him, you need to let your free slave labor go, because what you're doing is wrong. Again, Pharaoh would have seen himself as a deity. He would have seen himself as a god incarnate. And who was this Israelite to come? Because they, they saw Israelites as beneath them, you know, regardless of the stature of what they were doing as slaves. Who was this Israelite to come before me and tell me that I'm doing something wrong? Next, and, and you know, one of the one of the toughest and most in-your-face examples would be Nathan with David. So David had done a terrible thing. And first of all, he had an affair with a, a married man's wife, Bathsheba. Secondly, he got her pregnant. Third, he couldn't find a good way out of it, so he sent her husband Uriah to the front lines of war, knowing full well that this was going to kill him. And so essentially you could look at this and say, you know, and if we tried this in our courts in America, we could say David was, you know, liable for committing murder. You know, maybe perhaps not first degree, but still he had an active hand in it. And he would have been convicted for sure. Nathan tells David a story. Um, and in it, he's basically relating how, you know, that Uriah had nothing except this one beautiful possession. And David is furious when he, he hears the, the parable. He says, who would do such a thing to this man? This is terrible. This person needs to be punished. And Nathan said, it's you. You're the, you're the horrible man. You've stolen the one beautiful possession from this man's life in Bathsheba. And David was convicted, um, you know, morally in his heart uh, about the horrible thing that he had done. Lastly, let's look at Abraham. Abraham asked God, and, and this was such a, you know, I don't even know if we could fully encompass what kind of a privilege this is to have God specifically talk to you, as a lot of these people get the chance to, to experience. But Abraham asked God, and I just think that's so crazy. He asked God to change his plans for destroying Sodom, which he ultimately does. But at the time, God was saying, I'm going to destroy these people. They're wicked. They're evil. There's, there's nothing good about them. And Abraham kept asking God, God, would you save him for X amount of righteous people? Would, would you stop the destruction? God said, no, I wouldn't. God said, I will. And Abraham kept whittling it down to 10 people, 10 people. He said, God, if, if I can find 10 good people, 10 righteous people in this town, would you, would you save it? And God said, I won't destroy it if you can find 10 good people. And for the time, he didn't, you know. And so it's just really interesting to see that there are so many examples where, whether they're talking to God or an earthly ruler, these, these characters from the Bible are speaking in truth, and they're bravely approaching. And, and most of the time, you know, from what we're seeing here, it appears they did it very respectfully, perhaps with the exception of Nathan, who just kind of had to be very forthright. We don't know in how in your face and informal he was telling David about the sin he had committed. But we can see that they approached these rulers with respect and they approached them with truth. And we can see the benefit that God worked and blessed to these, these uh, characters of the Bible. So how can we apply this concept of speaking oppositionally and speaking up to those in authority over us in our professional lives, in the workplace? How do we do this? You know, how do, how do we transfer it? Well, I have four thoughts for you today. Thought number one, we as the leaders must show our followers that we want their constructive feedback. We as the leaders must show our followers that we want 
their constructive feedback. We have to show them that not only is it okay for them to bring it, but we want to hear it because we see the benefit of it. We see the benefit in learning from someone else's perspective. We see the innovation that can happen when we take the time to see differing viewpoints. Learning from other people's viewpoints is how we as leaders are able to make good decisions. You know, we talked about last week when with good counsel, you know, wise counsel. Wise counsel doesn't happen just by ourselves. It doesn't mean we're looking in the mirror to find someone to agree with us all the time. Wise counsel is getting a bunch of different perspectives of wise people that we know care about us and have, you know, they have a good, honest perspective on the situation, and we're listening to them. When our followers know that we will listen to them, they will be more likely to share helpful information sooner versus later. You know, how many times could you think of in an organization that you've worked with, either as the leader or as a member of, you know, perhaps the leadership team or just the operational team in general, where someone comes forward and they identify perhaps it's a huge flaw, perhaps it's an operational issue, but them coming forward early, being brave to, you know, maybe share something that was against the grain perhaps saved the company a lot of money, perhaps it kept the company out of litigation, perhaps it kept the company from making some kind of an egregious mistake or losing a competitive edge. But when we see this, when we see, you know, our followers coming forward with helpful information, and even if it's adversarial in, in a way that it's just oppositional, but it's done respectfully, we need to encourage that because ultimately that makes the business better, which means we have more of an an opportunity to provide the kind of example that we want as a leader for our followers. So that's thought number one. Thought number two, we as leaders need to develop more loyalty among our followers. We as leaders need to develop more loyalty among our followers. You know, how many of us can say that maybe we're not looking for a job right now, but we probably will be in the next year? Or if someone was to offer us maybe even the same money, that we have now, we jump ship in a heartbeat because, you know, we're just, we have no loyalty. And to some extent, I I suppose that could be our fault in that maybe we're not doing all we could to really engage with the business and to try to find ways to want to be more loyal, you know, to find those nuances. Again, every job is fairly similar in its mechanics. So in theory, we should be able to find something we enjoy at every different job. But a loyal follower is much more profitable for a business than having to replace them all the time. So again, we've, we've kind of addressed this before. You know, if you want to be a selfish, greedy leader, a lot of times it means taking care of your people because I read a study that said, you know, between 50% and 150% cost is due whenever you try to replace someone. So essentially, if you have a worker who's making $50,000 a year, you know, it would cost you between $25,000 and $75,000 to replace them. And if you don't want to do that a lot, you know, because you've, you've lose productivity, you have training costs, you have recruiting costs that tie into that. If you don't want to have to spend that, it's a much simpler proposition for you to build loyal followers. And this is how we do it, by listening to them, by hearing what they have to say, and if it's good advice, we implement their decisions. We breathe loyalty through repetition and consistency of being open to their perspectives. So this can't be just a one-time thing. This has to be a thing we are doing consistently and with frequency. We have to always be willing to hear, and we and this is important, we don't always have to be willing to 
fulfill or to act on what we've been told, but we always need to be willing to hear because what we are saying when we listen to our followers is that I affirm the value you have in this company. I might not agree with you and I might not be able to implement what you're suggesting, but you as an employer are valuable and I'm showing you that value through listening and, and hearing what you have to say to make this business better. Thought number two. Thought number three, create an environment where you argue behind closed doors and agree in public. This is probably one of the most important points when it comes to how we approach things with respect. Respect is huge. You know, this all really comes down to intent and attitude. There's there's a reason, you know, diplomacy can can live and die on the person who says it. We if we want to get our message across, we've got to frame it in a way that it's going to be most receptive to the audience we're giving it to. Or another way we've heard this phrase is preach to connect. You know, if you want your message to land, you need to know the audience you're sharing it with. So we as leaders want our followers to know that when we can, we can hash anything out behind closed doors. You know, if, if we need to have, if we need to raise our voices, if we need to say, this is a crazy idea, or, you know, if we need to say whatever, our followers need to know that we can do that behind closed doors. You know, we can go to battle on an idea, but, and this is really important, when the decision has been made, we all work to support it. So we've, we've kind of got both sides here. So we, as leaders, are absolutely willing to hear any and all ideas during the, the planning and the fact-finding and the due diligence phase of perhaps a new initiative. But once we've made a decision, that's where the loyalty piece comes back in. That's where the team has to trust that we as the leaders have made the best decision possible, and that's when they have to support that. We support it publicly. We argue behind closed doors. We support each other publicly. This is where respect and opposition come together. Our followers might not get their way, but they can say that their objections were given the attention they deserve. We kind of talked about this earlier. This is affirming the value of the worker. We've talked about this before. We've separated the value of the person and the worker. Specifically for the value of the worker, we can say that we've shown them value by the affirmation we give when we listen to the ideas they have, even if we can't always implement them or put them into action. We're showing we still value them. The point number three. Our last point, point number four. We need to be as transparent as possible with our followers on our decision-making process. You know, so many times the objections to something, or the opposition we get from our followers can happen when they have not been given enough information of the context behind our decision-making in a given situation. You know, there's a lot of times where if we would just take the time to educate our top folks a little bit deeper on the context of what is going on, you know, there's a really good chance that we might not have an issue at all. You know, we might have one of the two fault, one of the two options, either they're more likely to agree with the decision we've made because they've had enough information. And, and we can be very sensitive with this too. You know, we don't have to give names, but we can probably give a little bit more context so that they understand how we came up with the decision we have, what what components went into that decision-making process. And if that, if perhaps they don't agree with us, they will be able to offer better, more focused objections or solutions based on the new information. You know, when we take the time to share, and this, this probably isn't for everyone, but we all kind of have that inner circle of followers that, you know, perhaps we've kind of pulled, maybe like our disciples, you know, for lack of a better word. and we can kind of share with them a little bit deeper context of what's going on so that either they 
agree with our decision because they kind of understand, oh, that, that makes a lot of sense, or they're able to offer better solutions or better opposition because they're better informed. And they kind of have the perspective of, you know what, now that I've heard that, maybe we should go in this direction. As we close today, I'd like to share a few final thoughts. And these are questions that you can take with you and share with your team or just ask yourself, you know, introspectively. These will be included in the details for today's podcast. So you're you're welcome to share them, use them however you see fit. Thought number one, or question number one, how can you show your followers that you are open to hearing their opposing viewpoints in a given situation? So this is going to have to be a behavior. This is going to have to be an action where, you know, someone's going to come to you with an opposing viewpoint, and this is going to be vulnerable. And if you don't handle this correctly, you're probably not going to hear from them again. So when someone comes to you, either A, in any case, always affirm them by saying, thank you for bringing me this perspective. Thank you for bringing me this opinion. It's going to affirm and show value to your, your team when you do that. And once you've done that, you can either say, A, we're going to implement this. Tell me more. Uh, I like where you're going with this. Let's, let's continue to discuss this. Or you're going to say, B, I really do appreciate what you're sharing, but based on the context, and, and you can perhaps share a little bit more of how you came about this decision, you could say that while I appreciate your feedback, this decision you're, you're asking for just doesn't fit with the decision I need to make for this given situation. So how can you show your followers that you are open to hearing their opposing viewpoints in a given situation? Number two, how can we demonstrate how to respectfully disagree with our leader superior? How can we demonstrate that? Well, for most of us, we all have a boss too. So if we can model the example of what it looks like to respectfully, you know, uh, object to or oppose your, your superior, then we're more likely to have followers who are going to follow suit in that behavior. So how can we demonstrate how to respectfully disagree with our leader or super superior? Thought number three, how can we be more transparent in sharing the components that go into our decision-making with respect to our followers? So this could be perhaps giving deeper context. This could be something I'm working on in my own organization where we we'll, we show what we're aligned behind. You know, we perhaps we're aligning behind the brand or the business or the team members or the guests themselves. Whenever we show our, you know, our, our managers or what have you, what things we're aligning with, it makes it a lot easier for them to understand and, and much clearer for them to see how we came about in our decisions, because we can see the mechanics we're using is based on these different areas, you know, of of our values or, or what we're trying to align against. So how can we be more transparent in sharing the components that go into our decision making with respect to our followers? It's important for us as we close today that we think about as leaders, we are going to be held accountable for how we handled those who were in a position of subordination under us. You know, there's a lot of verses and examples in the Bibles where even if when it's referring to a slave and master, we're never supposed to treat our slaves harshly. And it's important for us to remember that all of these people that work for us are created in God's image. So at the very least, we need to affirm their value as a person, and we need to affirm their value in the organization by taking the time 
to listen to what they want to contribute to the business. Because in order for us to build loyalty with our team, they have to know that they matter. I want to thank you for joining us this week. And remember, as followers of Christ, we are called to glorify God in our actions, to grow His kingdom through our example, to be a positive influence on others by doing the King's business. Thank you, and have a great week.